Well, this morning I've entitled the message, His Plan, My Plan. And the reason being is because I seem to constantly fall into this trap. And it's this, this, this realization of this truth that my way isn't always God's way. Anybody ever had that happen to them? They have a plan, they got it all planned out, they know how it's going to work. And then you're like, excuse me, God, I've, I've got this agenda here. You can see bullet point one, two, and three. If you could just make that happen. I even have the times when they should happen. If you could just make that happen for me, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Any, anybody? Just, just me? Well, in that case, we should go home. You guys, we're all good to go. And you know what? I know if I'm going through it, somebody else is going through it. God just doesn't have messages preached for me. We got, one, we got one honest person back there. Two honest people. There we go. You don't actually have to raise your hands. Who's giving you a hard time? You see, the problem that we live in is, is today we live in kind of a fast food generation. Right? I mean, everything is instant. We have microwave burritos that are done in like a minute and a half. Even our communication is instant. You know, there was a time when you wanted to send a, a letter to somebody. It was, it was given to somebody who wrote it on a horse. And they wrote it, and it took, it took weeks to get the mail. And then as time went by, we got it on planes and airplanes. And now, if you send a letter out, uh, send the letter out, it'll most likely get there in a couple days. But the truth is, if you send a letter out nowadays, you're probably a bill collector because nobody else uses the mail. And then we got email, which was, which was even faster, right? That you sent an email and it, it showed up in their mailbox the next time they got there. But that wasn't fast enough, so we came up with instant messaging and text messaging because we're a society that wants what we want, and we want it right now. And the problem is, we kind of take that attitude with God sometimes, I think. And we, we, we begin to tell God how we want it. We want to press the, the 30 seconds and the inner button, and bam, everything's going to be exactly how we want it. Or even worse, sometimes when it doesn't happen exactly how we want it, we begin to question, one, is God even there? Is God listening? What's going on? Three and a half minutes ago, I asked for, for someone to be healed, and they're not healed instantaneously. Are you even there, God? Or we begin to, to wonder, we feel like God's told us something, so we begin to, to walk out into it. And this is, this is where I struggle a lot, because I know that God's given me a vision for this church and as a, as a pastor, and I begin to walk out on it, and I'm like, come on, God, let's get some things moving. You know, in my head, when we decided to step out and plant a church two and a half years ago, I was going to be a mega church by now, and have hundreds of members, and we'd be making such a difference, and... and uh, I just got a, a fantastic church full of me- mega people, which I'm, I'm okay with. But there's still times I feel like, what's going on? There's been times when I'm like, God, is this really what you wanted me to do? I would think if this is what you wanted me to do, it would be going a little better right now. But the truth is, the way that I would do things is not the way that God will do things. And this might come as a surprise, but the way that you would do things, it may not be the way that God would do things. Amen? So today's message is, is really one of encouragement. I, w- I want to encourage you that even if things aren't going quite how you planned them to go, quite how you thought that they would go, I want to encourage you that that doesn't mean that God's not in it, that God's not with you, He's not with you every step of the way. But rather, I would encourage you to keep pressing forward, to keep your eyes on God and place your full hope and your full trust in Him. Amen? So let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Patience is a fruit. In Galatians 5:22 through 25 it says, "But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You guys remember we talked about this actually for a different message. We talked about keeping step with the Spirit. And we'll get into that in a second. But I want to talk about the fruits of the Spirit today. And the fruits of the Spirit is what is produced in us through the working of the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if He is living inside of you, He's going to begin to produce fruit in your lives. I don't know if you guys know this, but the apples on an apple tree, you guys ever seen apples on an apple tree or oranges on an orange tree? Or in Arizona, we have pomegranates on the, on the pomegranate bush. You guys have all seen that? How many know somebody didn't walk by there and hang those there? It's not like a Christmas tree. Now, on a Christmas tree, all the stuff on the tree, somebody came and went and hung that there, but fruit is different. Fruit's not an ornament. Fruit is actually produced from inside the tree. It's, it's, it's grown from outside of the life that's inside of that tree. And the same thing is true with the, with the fruits of the Spirit inside of us. The fruits of the spirits are produced. They're not, they're not handed to us. God doesn't give you these things. They're produced by His Spirit living inside of you, and they, they grow out of you. And one of those things is patience. Now, patience is a tough one because, one, I think it grows better the older you get. Otherwise, as a kid, you just don't let it grow. No, <laughs> I'm wrong. I feel a little bit for me. I remember when I was a kid, man, Christmas morning would come, and I couldn't sleep the whole night. And my impatience actually made it worse because, you know, and I knew in my head if I would just go to sleep, morning would come. It would get here faster, but instead I was up all night being impatient. As an adult, it's a little bit better. Now I wake up and wonder why my kids aren't up. My kids aren't like that. You know that? They just sleep. I have to wake them up on Christmas morning. What's wrong with that? I don't get it. But the reality is, now that I've gone completely off track, is that the, the fruits are actually produced inside of you as a result of you being a Christian, as a result of you being saved, as a result of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And you can say, you know what, Pastor Wayne, I'm not really a patient, I'm just not a patient person. Or I'm not really a loving person or a kind person. That's just not who I am. I wasn't made that way. And I'll say to you, if you're a Christian, you're wrong. There, it may be true. At one point, you may not have been made that way. Matter of fact, I think most of us weren't made that way. We were born broken. But when the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, things changed. You were made brand new. You weren't who you used to be. And out of that, the fruits of the Spirit are produced. And these things are a reality in your life. The problem that we have is that sometimes, even though we understand this intellectually, we don't have it in our spirit. We don't have a revelation of that. There's a difference between revelation and just regular knowledge. We can know these things. You can see that uh, uh, so apparently in today's world because I would say that just about everybody in the United States knows about Jesus, but not everybody's saved. They don't have a revelation of who he is and the saving power that he has. And the same goes true for this. We get saved, that's the first step. And we have to be discipled. We have to learn these things. And even though I believe that if you spend time in the Word and your mind is renewed, this will happen as a natural result of that. At the same time, we can be ignorant of what God has done inside of us and what what is happening inside of us. 
even though intellectually we know that it's true, somehow we still hide from this truth if we don't have that revelation of it. It's kind of like, have you guys ever seen a, a, a bush or a tree that is only getting half sunlight and the other half never ever gets any sunlight because of, of a building or whatever? If you take a look at that tree, you'll see that, that the side that's getting all the sunlight is, is fully grown. It's going to be stronger than the portion, the branches, that aren't getting any of that that extra something. It's kind of like what happens to us. We get saved and, and we can either spend time in the Word and learn these things and be showered by God's truth or we can kind of hide from it. And it produces weaker fruit inside of us. If we ignore the truth or turn away from Jesus, our fruit just becomes lesser and weaker. But I want you to know that Today, if you are saved, you have these things inside of you. And patience is the key to taking hold of the promises of God in almost every instance. Because what does the scripture say? With faith and patience, you inherit the promises. And patience is a tough thing. It's, it's the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. See, that's the key part, As many of us can deal with a lot of this stuff. We just let it mess with our head. We get angry, we get upset, we get turned around. But I want to encourage you today, one, to let that patience grow, to let it live out, to, to be the fruit that it's supposed to be. Let that grow inside of you, because without patience, you're going to have a frustrated life. Truthfully, as a Christian, and even not as a Christian, patience is key. And I want you... It's to encourage you to have that patience and let God move in your life. You see, as I was writing this message and deciding to, to minister this today, the, the big thing in my life is, is watching this church grow from, from just the, 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 my wife and, and, and I and another couple in our house for two years and growing into this. But there's, there's others I've spoken to you that you guys have been waiting, been praying, and it feels like that maybe God's not moving. It feels like, I know some of us have family members that we just want to get saved. We've been praying for them. It's like nothing is moving. But I want you to, to encourage you today with patience and continuing to trust God will move. You will have fruit in your life. Amen? In James 1, 2-4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Who else reads this and thinks that that, uh, James here is a little bit crazy? Consider it all joy when you face various trials. I mean, I can't think of a single time that something tough was happening to me and I was like, man, this is awesome. I wish more of this would happen. I just, I wish I could get sicker because this would be great. You know, I, or I wish I had less money to pay my bills. Anybody ever just been joyful about that? Yeah, James, what are you thinking? He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. You see, I don't think James wants us to count the trials as joy. As a matter of fact, if you continue to re- read this, it's, it's not the, the trials that James is talking about. Trials stink. They're no fun. Nobody likes that stuff. But the thing is, when we go through these trials, when we have to exercise that patience, something inside of us begins to happen. We begin to grow. We begin to grow, become stronger. It says, for the know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Anybody ever heard the saying that, that faith untested is faith untrusted? 
you know, sometimes we have to be, we have to, to, to be, have our world rocked a little bit in order to actually exercise this faith that we claim that we have. And trials are a funny thing because some of them, they're, they're just part of being human. So sometimes we go through trials because it's just life. Sometimes people get sick, there's accidents, you know, there's disappointments to various degrees. A lot of times, you know, the storms of a lot, you know, not storms of life, but actual storms, you know, when the hurricane comes through, it doesn't just pick out Christians, but it, it's affecting everyone. Sometimes we go through trials just because it's, it's the world we live in. We live in a fallen world and stuff happens. And sometimes the enemy is actively out to get you. Sometimes the enemy wants to push back. Especially as you begin walking with God and step with God, you'll begin to see the enemy push back. But the truth is, is that we can press back against him, against these things. And it says that when we do that, the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Now, I don't believe that God sends trials into your life. Uh, I'm not of the, of the persuasion that, that when somebody gets cancer, it's God trying to teach them a lesson. I think that's ridiculous. I think that cancer is a, is a tool of the enemy. That, that sickness and death, those are tools of the enemy. And some of them are maybe active uh, persuasions by the enemy, and some of it's just because we live in a fallen world. Sickness is present. But it's never from God. These things are never from God. But that doesn't mean that God won't use them in your life to strengthen you. Do you guys understand the difference? God will use those things, even though it's not him that's doing it. And the truth is, we, we need that. We need that strength built up in our life. You know, living here in Tucson, we all know about the, the uh, uh, biosphere. You know, the biosphere, too, right up the road here. And, and if you guys know about that, they did a pretty amazing thing in the biosphere. They went and they built all these different ecosystems, deserts, rainforests, you know, the whole works. They, they built all these different things. And they found that after two years, they were beginning to see a problem. Because the thing about the biosphere is everything was perfect. The right moisture, the right water, the right uh, humidity, everything was perfect. Except for it's in a big giant dome. You know what happens when you're in a big giant dome? No airflow, no wind. It's just like right now, we're in the building. Nobody can, we don't feel the wind that's going on outside. And what happened was is these trees, after about two years, began to break and snap under their own weight. They, they were growing so large with no resistance in their life, they never became strong. And you can also find that if you, if you harvest trees on the side of a cliffside where the wind's been blowing them and bashing them, that's going to be the hardest wood that you can, you can harvest for building stuff because when the wind and the rain and it pelts and pushes against these trees, they're bent over, but they become stronger in return in response to what they're dealing with. And the same thing happens as us as Christians. We become stronger when we go through these things. And like I said, I want to be clear. I, I don't believe that God sends these things to try to teach you a lesson, to try to show you something. But I believe that in those things, God will teach you and show you something. And that's why he says count it all joy, because the testing of our faith produces, faith produces steadfastness. And then it says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, when, you're, when your faith muscle gets worked out, it gets stronger, and you become a stronger Christian. And you begin walking, and the scripture says that there will be complete lacking in nothing. Amen? So the reality is, is that we have a choice. We can get upset. We can get frustrated. 
We can challenge God because things aren't going our way. Or instead, we can choose to continue to place our faith, our hope, and our trust in Him and grow and be strengthened into the man or woman of God that you were intended to be. Amen? In Proverbs 16.9, it says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You know, we can plan all we want, but it's ultimately God that's going to lay our steps. And the only, the only choice that we have is we can, we can walk with God or we can walk in a different direction. But I want you to know that if you will walk with God, if you will, you will let Him establish your steps, that you will walk alongside Him, your life is going to turn out so much better than it would have if you do things your own way. I know this from experience. I tried doing things my way and I watched my world fall apart around me. And the funny thing is, is I, I look back and I realize that even as I was doing this, God was with me for so long, just like waiting and being patient, and things were still kind of staying together. And then I think finally I pushed so hard. I ran away so hard. God's finally like, all right, do what you want. And then my life crumbled in around me. I mean, everything went wrong. We had to file for bankruptcy. We, we almost, my wife and I almost got divorced. I mean, it, it was a rough time. And it's because I decided that I wanted to lead. I wanted to do things. But instead, I think if we let God guide our steps. You want to know what the turning point was for me? I finally said, all right, God, let's do it your way. What do you want to do? Where do you want me to go? And, and I, I began to do things that even didn't even make sense. I mean, we just filed for bankruptcy and I decided to start tithing regularly. And that doesn't make sense because I already know I don't have any money. But I began to trust God and everything turned around. I, I now have the best job that I've ever had. My wife has the best job that she's ever had. And we make plenty of money, so much so that we're able to be a blessing to others, not just support ourselves. And it's because we decided to trust God. Our relationship is stronger than it's ever been because instead of putting myself first, I put God first, which in turn puts my wife ahead of me. And she did the same. And our our relationship is stronger than it's ever been. We need to let God lead in our lives. In Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That was my problem. I was trying to lean on my own understanding. And he says, In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And what will happen? He will make straight your paths. If we would just put God first, He is going to, to walk with us and alongside us. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that if you'll put God first, everything's going to be hunky-dory from here on out. It's not going to be all, all bubblegum and, and lollipops. You're going to have struggles. You're, you're going to face difficulties still. And like I've always said, when you become a Christian begin trusting God, more than likely, you're going to face troubles that you never would have faced if you wouldn't have became a Christian. That's just, that's just reality. But the difference is you have God alongside you. It says He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And He's going to get you through to the other side no matter what. Amen? The reason we don't lean on our own understanding when we're trying to follow God is because many times what God's doing just doesn't make sense. And when I mean that, I know it makes sense to God. I mean it doesn't make sense to us. Because the truth is, we don't think the way he does. We don't see the same picture that he sees. Just an example, when we planted this church, it didn't make any sense to leave all of our friends and family 
Um, and for those of you who don't know the story, we originally uh, were talking to our pastor who sent us out. We were going to plant a church in Casa Grande. And uh, we didn't want to. We wanted to plant a church in northern, uh, more northern Tucson. That was always our plan, my wife and I's vision. But, but our pastor said that he wanted us to plant a church in Casa Grande. And, and I really wasn't getting yes or no from God. And I think sometimes when you're not getting yes or no from God, you need to just listen to godly men. So we decided that we would be obedient to our pastor and we were going to go plant a church in Casa Grande. And it didn't make sense. God, why would I want to leave everything, all my friends? You know, Michelle's got family. We lived on the east side of Tucson at that time, and she's got family over there. My, my family lives down in Hereford, which is, you know, a, a, southern, a little southern, a couple hours south from here. But if we moved to Casa Grande, we'd be even farther away. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a job up there. I didn't have anything up there. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense, God. But instead, I I trusted him and I trusted my pastor. And for about a year, we started trying to make a go of that. And then finally, my pastor came to me and said, you know what? I I feel like this, this isn't where God wants us. I want you to go. And that's when we decided to plant the church in Marana. And it didn't make sense to me, but I I found out then is that I trusted God. And then finally, he gave me the desires of my heart as I was trusting him. And we got to plant a church here in Marana. And then I said, God, all right, let's do this. And I'll be honest with you, I would have never gone to a house church, ever. They were were creepy to me. I think this country has unfortunately kind of put a bad... um, uh, a vision of what they are in the air with all the cults and stuff. And, and that's, what, that's the attitude I had in my head. They're, I didn't want to go to a creepy home church. And God says, well, you're going to have one. Not a creepy one, just a regular home church. And uh, so we started a church in my home. That's the other thing I learned in all this. Don't tell God what you won't do. At least, yeah, he, he likes to, yeah, just don't. So anyway, so we, we, did, we did that. It didn't make any sense. I'm like, God, I wouldn't even go to a house church. Why would I, why would I start a house church? But I, I, we trusted him, and we went ahead and did it anyway, and we opened our homes to people that we've never met. And, and that's how we, we got our start. And, and some of you were there that first Sunday, and we've grown from there. And, and many of you actually came to, to the church when we were there, and, and we were there for a little over two years. And then we started looking at this building, and all along the way, it didn't make any sense. It wasn't going to work. I kept trying to back out, but God said, no, this is the place, and, and somehow it all worked out. And, I, and it's funny. I say somehow it all worked out because there's still a little bit of, of shock and awe and, and amazement when the reality is there shouldn't be any. I sh- it should just be par for the course. God said he was going to do something, he's going to do it. But isn't that funny when God does something, we're still all amazed and in awe? Now, I think we should be amazed and all in the sense of, of, uh, of worship, but I don't think we should be surprised. Yet, we still so often are when God does exactly what he said he was going to do. All right, where am I at? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. You know, God may not show us everything. We may not see the big picture. All God wants is trust. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. God just wants us more than anything in every area of our life to just trust Him. To put your faith in Him. There was a, uh, it says, when the brilliant ethicist John Cavanaugh went to work for three months at the House of Dying in Calcutta, he was seeking a clear answer as how to best spend the rest of his life. 
And on the first morning there, he met Mother Teresa, and she asked, And what can I do for you? And Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him. And she said, What do you want me to pray for? She asked. And he voiced the request that he had borne thousands of miles from the United States. And he said, Pray that I have clarity. And she said firmly, No, I will not do that. And he asked her why, and she said, Clarity is the last thing that you are clinging on to and must let go of. And when Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have the clarity he longed for, she laughed and said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust, so I will pray that you will trust God. See, that's what we need in our life. We don't need the big picture. We don't need to know how it's all going to turn out. We just need to trust God and know that he loves you more than anything in this world. God loves you, and he wants the best for you, and he will guide your way. Amen? In Exodus 13, 17 through 18, we're going to begin to see some, some, some stories and scriptures that deal with God leading people's steps. In Exodus 13, 17 through 18, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land to the Philistine, although that was near. For God said, let, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up and out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. See, this is an interesting thing here because God just freed the, the Israelites who were, who were captive in Egypt. And what would have made more sense to them would be to go a straight shot across to the promised land. That would have been right through the land of the Philistines. But what would have happened there is the Philistines would have taken up arms. And at this point, the, the Israelites were in no, no uh, condition to be fighting a war on both ends. They already got armed Egyptians on one side, and there'd be, it, would, it would be tough for them to deal with armed Philistines on the other. So everybody there, I'm sure, was saying, but God, you said the promised land was right here. If I do the math and I pull out my, my little chart, it's, it's way shorter to go this way, God. Here, let me tell you how we're going to do it. I'm sure there was some of that going on. We don't see everything that happened, but I'm sure there was somebody there that was grumbling and complaining, talking about, hey, wait a minute, why didn't we go this way? Moses must be crazy taking us a long way. But instead, God took them the long way round through the wilderness. Because if they would have tried to go through the Philistines, it would have been disastrous for them. They weren't ready at that point to deal with that. Actually, we find out that, that mentally, even when they get to the promised land, they're still not ready to deal with what they had to deal with. If you remember, the, the spies went out and they came back with reports and, and most of the spies said, there's no way we can go in there. They're too big for us. They're too strong for us. Instead of trusting in God, they were trusting in themselves. You see, and God here was, was concerned. He was, he was afraid that if, if he let them go up against the Philistines right away, that they would be fearful, that they would want to turn around and go back. I mean, even going the long way, which was much easier, we began to hear them complain and groan and mumble, and they just want to go back because, you know, they forgot all about the, the slavery and the brick-making without straw, and they just wanted to go back to the leeks of Egypt. All they could remember was, was I guess, that one meal. Yeah, in this story, they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have had the ability to deal with what was coming if they would have went their way. And how does this apply to us? You know, I can, I can look at the story of how this church grew. And, and like I said, I've had different plans than God this whole time. And this is an area I struggle with because in my head, when God said, you're going to be a pastor, I fought for a while. And after a year or two, I said, okay. 
And I, I figured since I said yes, as soon as we started the church, you know, we wouldn't have room at all. I'm going to have to get out of my house in like two weeks and get a building. And, and it didn't work out like that. We were in my house for two and a half years with, with, with very slow growth. And then uh, we got into this place, and I just knew for sure, because we had a sign in a building, as soon as we opened the doors, we'd have to, I mean, I have, I have, uh, uh, what do we have, probably, now we got more than, probably another 50, 50 or so chairs stored in my house, ready for when this place explodes. So we're going to have plenty of chairs. And, uh, and I know it will. I, I believe that God has a plan for us in this city. I know we're going to grow and we're going to have more resources and we're going to have more, more people that are willing to invest in the kingdom of God and we're going to continue making a difference. But the reality is, if things would have happened on my time, we would have imploded. I remember when we first got started and, and uh, as we were going, I, I began to recognize, and looking back in hindsight, because it's always easier to see in hindsight. Everybody notice that? You look back and I realize that if we would have grown the way that I wanted us to grow, we would have imploded. We would have never been able to bear the weight. The, the members of the church would not have been equipped to, to minister to those who were coming in. And we would, have, we would have imploded. And the same thing I believe here is as we moved into this new next phase of our life, if, if it would have happened the way I wanted it to happen, then we would have imploded. We would have been able to do what God needed us to do. Instead, he's, he's had us go what seems to me like the long way around, but, I, but I, I understand in hindsight, and even looking forward, even though there's still parts of me that wanted to go faster, I recognize that God's got a, a, got a better idea of what's going on than I do, so I'll continue to trust Him. And there, you know, I use the church as an example, and my life as an example, but there's things in your life that are the same way. And you can probably look at things in your life, and you go, if you look back in hindsight, you're like, all right, now I see why we did it this way, because if it would have went a different way, my life would have been completely different. And that's, that's this thing here. Sometimes we need to trust God, even if it doesn't make sense to us, because he has our best interests in heart. In Genesis 15, 4 through 5, we're going to look at a, another couple of stories that probably didn't make sense to the people going through them at the time. But in Genesis 15, 4 through 5, it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. See, this is, uh, this is Abraham. And he just had his, his first son born of, the, of, the, of his, of his uh, maidservant, as his wife's maidservant. And, and God says, no, this isn't the promise that I promised you. I said you and Sarah would bear a son. And the interesting thing is when, when God was promising this to Abraham, he was 75 years old. Which already things weren't making sense at 75 years old. I mean, I hope, yeah, I don't have to explain. Things don't make sense at 75 years old when they're saying you're going to have a son. But then he waited for 25 years for this promise to come to fruition. Matter of fact, after a while he said, oh, maybe I misheard God. I'll give God a hand. And he had, he had the maidservant have his son. And God's like, no, this isn't the son. This isn't what I promised you. You're going to have a son. And he says, and if you can look to the stars and you're able to number him, that's how, 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 how much offspring you have. That's how big your, 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 your legacy is going to be. 25 years. Matter of fact, when he, when he had uh, <clears throat> Isaac, he was 100 years old. Sarah was 90. That must have been an interesting day. 
If we go on and look at this one, Genesis 37, 5-7, it says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around, and it bowed down to my sheaf. This was Joseph when he was a very young man. He was probably a teenager in his early 20s, and, and he says that, uh, Hey, I had this dream, brothers, that uh, you guys were all going to be gathered around worshiping me. Probably not his brightest move, you know, as the, as the, youngest, the youngest kid. You don't usually want to tell your older brothers that. And, and it didn't pay off very well for old Joseph. I, yeah, he was around 17 when this happened. So what happens? His brothers don't like this idea. They, they throw him in a pit and we're going to leave him. But one of the brothers said, no, we can't just kill him off. Reuben said that. And he said, we can't just kill him off. So instead, they, they sold him into slavery, put blood over his jacket, went home, told his dad that, uh, that, that Joseph had died. And he got sold into slavery. And Joseph went through some stuff in slavery. First off, he gets this vision from God. Can you imagine God's telling you that you're going to be a leader, that you're going, even your brothers are going to bow to you? He said, you know, you're going to be up there. And the next thing that happens, you get sold into slavery? Like, God, did I hear you right? I mean, how is this going to work out? So he goes, and you know what? He just stays. He doesn't grumble. He, he begins to honor God. He continues to trust God. And he begins to rise up in the rank. And if you remember in Potiphar's house, he becomes second command in Potiphar's house. He gets everything that he has. And then Potiphar's wife decides that she wants Joseph. And Joseph says, you know what? Uh, you know, my master has given me everything except for you. I'm not going to do that. So she sets him up, makes Potiphar think that, that Joseph tried to rape her. And, and once again, he runs away. He's in slavery once again. He's put in prison. So now he's in prison. And he's like, all right, God, you know, it didn't make sense at first. I was sold into slavery, but then I began to see myself rise up. I saw things were working, and I thought, all right, we're back on track. God's got things moving, and now I'm in prison. God, do you even know what you're doing? Anybody ever felt like that? But then we know the whole story from there. He, he goes and uh, begins to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and, and just like God had promised so many years ago, Matter of fact, about 24 years passed in that time. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery. He was, he was uh, <clears throat> around 39 when he, or when he was around uh, 39 when his brothers came looking for him. He was 41 years old when finally his father and his and the young, his youngest brother came, and the vision began to play itself out. He's the the second most powerful world man in the known world at that point. I mean, he's running everything. He's running the entire known world at that time for the most part. And it took 24 years for that vision to come into fruition. And I can tell you in both of these stories, things did not go how they had them planned. But God was still faithful. God was still true. God still did what he said he was going to do. And I want you to know that, that Joseph and, and Abraham, they're not special. God, the, the scripture says that God is not a respecter of persons. If God made a promise to Abraham and he kept it, and if God made a promise to Joseph and he kept it, I want you to know that if God makes a promise to you, he's going to keep it. Amen. In 1 Samuel 16, 12-13, it says, And he sent and brought him in. Now we're going to look at uh, uh, David. This is another story. It's, it's the same thing. Not how I would have done it. And he sent him and brought him in. This was 1 Samuel 16, 12-13. And he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Pretty much he looked like me. 
And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. David's around 15 years old. He gets anointed as king. But you know when he actually takes the throne? He's 30 years old when he finally takes the throne. It's been at least 15 years between he gets anointed as king and takes the throne. But worse than that, Saul's pretty much trying to kill him the whole time. I mean, that God, are you sure that you want me to take the throne? Because the current king is, is trying to kill me constantly. And he's running and he's hiding. And then Jesus. I see a similar thing in Jesus' life. In John 7, 6-8, it says, Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, and I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. See, even Jesus was trusting God for the timeline of his life. Jesus had his public ministry for about three years, and then he was finally crucified, and and we know he ascended to to heaven, and, and, and because of that, we can be saved. We can have a new life inside of us. But what if... What if at this time Jesus is like, man, I don't want to wait three years. I know what's coming. Why don't we just get this over with? And he, what if he would have just went and offered himself up right away? You see, what would have happened then is there would have been no disciples that were trained up. There would have been nobody to carry it on to preach the gospel, to minister the gospel, and nothing would have happened. Or what if at the end he decides, you know what, God? I've, I've decided against this. I, I think I'd rather not die, and I'm going to run off. I believe that Jesus had that choice. Matter of fact, we know that he was struggling internally when he said, God, if there's any way this cup can be taken from me. But instead, he said, you know what, God? I trust you. Your will be done. And thank God for that, because we'd be in a whole different situation otherwise. But these are, these are things that may not make sense to us how God would do things. I mean, just the whole story of Jesus doesn't make any sense at all. God sent the Savior of the world is the most fragile being on this planet, a human baby. That requires other people to live. I mean, there was 33 years before Jesus went to the cross where all kinds of stuff would have went, could have went wrong. But Jesus trusted God. Mary trusted God. And we know how it turned out for our good. And God was faithful. Amen? In Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3, it says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It seems, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Let me give you a quick outline of, of Habakkuk. And this, this is basically what's happening. First, the prophet asks why there is so much evil in Judah, and why is he doing nothing about it? Anybody ever thought that? God, why is there so much stuff going on and you're not doing anything about it? And then God says that, that the Babylonians are coming as a result of all this evil. And he says, wait a minute. Well, then how can the wicked Babylonians be used to, to punish people that are more righteous than themselves? And God says, don't worry, they're going to get theirs too. There's the, the wages of sin is death all the way around. It doesn't matter who you are, Jew, Babylonian, American. The wages of sin is death. So, so God gave this vision of what was going to happen to Habakkuk. And he said, I want you to write this down. Because this is at this point, none of that's happened. The Babylonians haven't come yet. I mean, this is, this is still stuff that has to take place. And he, and he gave the vision to his prophet. 
And he says, write it down on tablets so you, so you know. You can, you know, it's like taking a picture with a newspaper. This is what date I said this. Write it down. It's going to happen. He says, and if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You see, God had spoken to Habakkuk, and he had promised him what was going to happen. And the same thing is true in our life. When God promises you something, it probably wouldn't hurt to write it down. If, if God is telling you something, write it down. And if it seems like it's slow coming, just wait for it. Because like I said, and we've seen time and time again, if God makes a promise, it is never about if, it's always when. Amen? In Luke 14, 28-32, it says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and it was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends delegation and asks for terms of peace. I want you to know on the other side of this coin that if you've decided to follow Jesus, if you've decided to walk with him, that there is a cost to doing so. There are things, you know, when, 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 when you were asked to accept Jesus Christ in your life, I hope you weren't told that if you'll just do this, your life's going to be perfect from here on out. Unfortunately, I think too many times uh, we do that as Christians. I think that, that even knowing that it's not really that way, we, we try to, to, to oversell Christianity and we begin to tell people that, oh no, if you just become a Christian, everything is going to be perfect from then on out. You'll never have another problem in your life. And I believe that we do a great disservice when we, we, we try to sell Christianity that way. You know, we, we don't have to be snake oil salesmen. I want you to know that, that Jesus is what people need. You don't have to, 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 to make it try to look better than it is. It's already an amazing thing that, that God sent his son. He, he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, that we might have eternal life. But the reality is, is that if you accept that free gift, there is a cost. There may be some difficult times in your life, and like I said, more than likely you'll face stuff that you never would have faced had you not become a Christian. That's just the reality. There's also things that you're going to enjoy that you would never have enjoyed otherwise as well. A true relationship with God, having a love that is incomprehensible experience in your life by God and hopefully through other Christians. You know, the Scripture says that they'll know us by our love for one another. We should be feeling God's love in every way through one another. But there is a cost, and there is that pushing through those struggles and having patience. But the truth is that if we will be willing to pay that cost, if we'll be willing to consider the cost, then we will get through the other side. We're going to push through. We're going to make it. With that patience, we'll get through to the other end. If you try to go through your life without considering the costs, understanding what you're going through, it, it'll be much like when you drive through, particularly where I live in Gladden Farms, and you see a bunch of beautiful houses. I live in a nice house, but the field across the street 
is empty. They started to prep it. They started to, to get it going. And, and because of the, the bubble that was burst, the, the true cost wasn't considered. And now we have half-built houses all across the area that I live. I don't want us to be that. I want you to know that, that we do consider the cost. We, we do know that there, there is a price to be paid. There's some struggles that we may face. Just because you're a Christian, life isn't going to be perfect. But you will come out the other end if your faith is placed in Him. And we won't look like a, a half-built community, but instead we'll be strong Christians. We'll be strong in the body of Christ, fitting together like living stones that we're supposed to. Amen? And understand that there is a time for everything in your life. In Ecclesiastes 3, 1-8, it says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Just because we're going through these times in our life doesn't mean that God's not with us. It doesn't mean that we're not walking according to his plan. And I want you to know that these aren't just the, the words of a, of an old song. I had to look it up. I always think the Beatles sing. Did the Beatles ever sing this song? It was the birds that, that, that did it. But I always, in my head, I always think the Beatles. Anyway. But yeah, they straight up stole it from the Bible. Man. That's because there's good stuff in the Bible. But the truth is, is that in our life, we're going to pass through different seasons. Sometimes it's going to be good. Sometimes it's going to be bad. Sometimes they're going to be tough. Sometimes it's going to feel like we have an abundance of everything in our lives. But the truth is that when we go through these seasons, God is still with us. And it doesn't mean that he's not with us. It doesn't mean that, that, uh, that we're on the wrong track. We just have to remember that his plan is going to be different than our plan. And we'll go ahead and finish here today. It says in Galatians 6, 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I want you to know that this is a, a promise that you should hold close to your heart. Like I said, we're going to go through times. We're going to go through struggles. Some things aren't going to seem like it's the right way. It's going to seem like God's messing up. Because... Yeah, the, the amount of ego involved for us to think we know better than God is incredible, yet we all seem to do it from time to time. But it doesn't mean that God's not with us. It doesn't mean that he's left us or forsaken us. And the, the scripture says, you know what, don't grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary of walking out the path that's been placed before you. If you've been praying for your family members to come to know Jesus, to stand alongside you, and it seems like nothing is happening, it seems like that there's nothing going on, it seems like God isn't listening, I want you to, to don't grow weary of doing good. Continue to minister to your family. Continue to pray for them. And as we continue to walk in this church when it doesn't seem like 
like we're growing as fast as I want it to grow. I don't know how fast you want it to grow, but I know how fast I want it to grow. And when it doesn't seem like we're doing that, we're going to continue and not grow weary of doing good. Because the truth is that if we'll continue walking the path that God has laid out beside us, putting our full trust in him and not in ourselves, the scripture says in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.